Hello, I'm Joss Stone. Thanks for joining me for a cup of happy. I spent the last few years singing my songs in every country in the world and been lucky enough to meet incredible people from all walks of life. What really struck me is that no matter where we are, we're all on the same mission. We're all just trying to find our version of happy. So with this podcast, I'm going to be speaking to a whole host of people to dig deeper into the what, why, and how of this emotion we call happiness. I hope that with these conversations, you discover something to help you on your own quest for happiness, possibly change your mind on a few things, and along the way, share a good old laugh with me and my guests. Before we jump into the conversation, I just want you to know about another podcast that I think you're going to love. If you like this one, you'll definitely like The Art of Happiness, hosted by the wonderful Arthur Brooks. Arthur is a Harvard professor and all-round genius. His podcast taps into the wealth of happiness research to teach us how to live life with more joy, satisfaction and purpose. Don't we all want that? I definitely do. So I highly recommend you listen and subscribe to The Art of Happiness after you finish this episode, of course. Now, on to today's guest. She's a clinical psychologist who specialises in childhood development and author of best-selling books including The Conscious Parent and The Awakened Family. We discuss why the nuclear family may not be the best way. The death of the self when you become a parent. Oof, I know that sounds ominous, but hang in there with me. And how we can all learn from our anxiety. Because guess what? We all have it. I hope you can take something valuable from my chat with Dr. Shafali. Hello, Dr. Shafali. I'm so Hi. happy to speak with you. Oh, Hello. me too. I'm so excited for this conversation. Honestly, I have been listening to you on YouTube, having lots of interviews with lots of different people. And it was a, like a breath of fresh air because I'm, well, I'm seven months pregnant now. Congratulations. And, oh, it's like, oh, are we going to be good parents? And then we come across yourself and think, ah, it's going to be okay. There yeah. are little tricks and tips that yes. people know about. <laughs> so you're a clinical psychologist. Is it specifically yes. for children? No, no, not at all. So okay. I did my my degree to cover all populations and mm-hmm. uh, just focused on children, not because I specifically love them more than other populations, but because I began to see the the damage we were doing unconsciously as parents. And I wanted to help parents use this journey Mm. as a portal for their own transformation. I saw what a powerful journey this was, but we were missing the point because we were so seduced by the traditional paradigm to fix the kid and raise the kid that we were forgetting and ignoring the most beautiful point of this journey, which is we get to fix ourselves. We get to heal ourselves. And we were missing that. So that's how it came to be that I, people think it's because I adore children. Of course I do. But more than that, I am fascinated by the power of this potential to Mm. heal the parent. So is it right to say a happy parent is is a good parent, right? Yeah. Well, well, yeah. A, A healed parent is quote unquote a good parent. And are we all in need of healing? Yes. It's part of being human, Mm -hmm. but we should take that healing seriously 
And that's the forefront of our mission as parents is how do I heal myself? But people think that the forefront of the mission is to raise the successful, happy child. Mm -hmm. That is a byproduct. If it happens, if it's meant to happen, that's not the point of this journey. The healed parent will naturally pass on the positivity, the optimism, and the empowerment Mm. to raise a healed child. A friend of mine said to me the other day in the studio, he's this fantastic guitar player and he lived, you know, quite, I suppose, a fun life. He's a musician, you know, and he's a lad. He likes a drink. He likes a party. And he said, Joss, when I have had, you know, my two children now and they're like four and six, I think, he said, the only part of me that is still here is the fact that I play guitar. That is it. Every single other part of me is just not there anymore. And I thought, is that good or is that bad? <laughs> I don't I don't really know what was going on before. But he said, every single thing is about the child. Everything. You have to sacrifice. And I don't know about you, but I don't like the word sacrifice. It makes me feel like worried about the person that feels like they're sacrificing something. But it also kind of comes across like this is a parent that really loves, really, really loves their child. And they've put everything on the line for their child. Do we have to? Do we have to sacrifice? Do we have to say goodbye to who we are? Yes, you have to say goodbye to who you are. More the mother than the father. Mm-hmm. Because you are going to irrevocably change. Like you sitting here right now with the baby in your belly, <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> I hear this a lot. <laughs> how you you're no going idea. to change. Yeah. And while you're pregnant, mm-hmm. it really should be the the saying goodbye to the old self. Mm-hmm. But you don't realize that you're going to change. So you're like, oh, we're just going to be two of us. But you are not going to be the same Joss. Right. It's mystical. It's marvelous. It's profound. It's amazing. But there is a death of the of old, the old Joss. Yes, there is a death. Oh gosh. It's a beautiful death, but it sounds very sad. (laughs) No. No, but but it's 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 a phenomenal experience, but we're not ready for it. Mm. But in a way you can't be ready for it because until it happens, you're thinking, ah, I'm still Joss, I'm still Joss, I'm still Joss. But Mm -hmm. the minute this baby comes out, you are not the old Joss. And it's it's uh, it's just going to happen. So when you experience this shifting it's going to feel weird because you're going to be like, oh my God, something's changed, but you don't know what. Where's well, she gone? Well, yeah, what oh. has changed is now you're a mom. Right. And that's what I called my first, first book. I call it the first, first book as if, as if it's not a real book because the first, first book I wrote was only published in India and it was called It's a Mom oh. because everyone would say, what is it? And, and they want the answer to be, it's a boy or it's a girl. And you're like, no, hello, it's a mom. Like, can, can no one understands that that's who has been birthed. It's so profound that everyone is going to forget that you're being birthed along right. with the baby. Mm. And you're going to forget that too, till you feel exhausted and wonder why you're irritable and wonder why you're not happy all the time. It's because you've died. It's because a part of you has died. <laughs> 
Oh my the gosh. part of you that used to sleep when she wanted, that mm. could pack her bags and just leave the house just when she wanted, anywhere. go yeah. anywhere and could just think of herself. Mm. That part has died. And it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment when you realize, oh my God, I am now eternally yeah. the first <laughs> default person, the first line in the emergency, first person this baby looks at, looks mm. for. I am always on call. It is, it's a, it's a mind shift and you're not, you're not ready for it because you simply can't be. The first baby shakes you Mm. and transforms you in that way. It's good to get the things you want to do out of the way somewhat. So then you can fully embrace that. Yeah, you can try, try to check off everything. You can try your best. Try your best, yes. (laughs) At least I would say sleep a lot. That's what people keep saying to me. Make sure that you sleep as much as you can, but you can't because you need to pee a thousand times in the middle of the night. So you can't sleep. You're like, but the baby is dancing on my bladder. How can I possibly sleep? That's the baby's gentle way of preparing you for years of no sleep now. For a whole decade now, you're never Mm. going to sleep well. Isn't that just crazy? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> you have no, so that's what quote unquote the sacrifice is right. moving on to your next part, mm. but you won't look at it necessarily as a sacrifice. No, not at all. A sacrifice to, I mean, I don't know that word. It, when I hear that word, I think of people like cutting a goat in half and praying to the gods and saying, sorry, mate. You're but, dying. But it is a sorry mate situation because oh, for the rest it. of your life, you're going to be like, you wanted to be a parent, <laughs> then you're good. Then you're going to do it again and again. It is. I mean, it is a sacrifice. But you, do, you're right. You don't want to look at it like that. No, it feels you, bad. Yeah, you want to embrace it. You want to say, "This is what I wanted." Mm. But by golly, is it a lot of work? I said to my mum, "I go, mum. So when the baby comes, are we like not allowed to put it down?" And she said, "Well, you can, but." It's going to be there forever. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, mom. Yeah. It's going to be there forever. And so that's, I guess, why it's such a lovely thing to have help, isn't it? Yeah. So you can go, I am actually really tired and I need to put the baby down for a second. Hey, mom, can you help? Yeah. If you have a loving mother who, who has yeah. time and energy and if you have resources, I say hire as many people as you can. Do not be a super mom. Do Ah, not think you're some superhero. Right. And your baby is going to only know your smell. It does take a village. If you have the resources, hire the whole village. Mm. I really wanted to talk about this um, one thing. Now we're talking about how it takes a village to raise a child, they say. You know, we've heard this. And I don't know how controversial this is or not, but in the Black Lives Matter movement, I read that they were not, uh, I don't know how to to say it because of course I'm going to get this wrong, but they had expressed in their mission statement online that the desire to dismantle the nuclear family. So I had no idea what the nuclear family was actually. Um, So I had to kind of look that up. I thought, what's the nuclear family? Um, I suppose it's two parents and two children. And then, so they took it off and they said, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another. The word disrupt does not mean destroy. And, you know, no one wants to destroy any family, but I can kind of see where they're coming from. But I can also see why they took it down, because, of course, that's upsetting to people that have the nuclear family. I completely is, is a- understand what they're saying. And I, I write about this in my books. The yeah. nuclear family is 
not the ideal family structure. Tell us about it. Because it has placed so much burden Mm. on our poor children to only have two crazy parents to look up to versus the crazy being distributed across 50 people. And you have, you know, if you want the crazy- More balance. Right. And it puts so much pressure. It's a westernized, industrialized, it's it's not healthy for the children and it's Mm. not healthy for the parents. The mother has too much pressure on her. The father has too much pressure. Mm. The monogamous nuclear family- there's too much pressure on everybody. Now, I'm not going to talk about monogamy right now, but definitely the nuclear family should be disrupted. And we should look at, first and foremost, what it does is it mm-hmm. separates my family. And all I care about is my family. I don't care if your family is suffering. So just there, there is sickness in that mentality. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is that it puts too much pressure. And uh, we cannot do it on our own. The mother cannot be a super mother, getting fit, going to earn money, raising two children, doing the dishes, doing the laundry. Then she's going to be a nag to her husband who comes home and now he has to do work. It's just too much. We need help. We need our grandmothers. We need our aunts. We need our sisters. We need our neighbors. Mm. So I completely understand where they're coming from. And the only people who must have been opposed to it were the ones who were thinking that we were saying to destroy it. They're not saying destroy it. Mm. They're saying let's expand the idea to include more brothers and sisters and stop Mm. caring only about your family. We need to care about our brothers and sisters, our black brothers and sisters too. It's so hard when people take things the wrong way. Mm -hmm. It's such a bugger. Oh my God. I definitely suffer that. You know, sometimes you'll say something and you mean one thing, but it's taken in a totally wrong way. Well, you have to be careful. You have to know what you're saying. You can't please everybody. You you have to deconstruct your ideas and and see whether they're coming from conditioning or from primitive ideology. Mm -hmm. Having said that, you have to be able to be a a renegade disruptor without having back, you know, fallout from it. Mm. And I think the Black Lives Matter, Matter movement is a disruptive movement because it challenges people's ideals and their attachments to old ways of thinking. They're trying to make change. Yeah. Yeah. And also trying not to hurt people along, along the way. Well, hopefully, sure. you know, that, that's the idea. But people can get hurt if your ideals are hurt. You know, co- my conscious parenting mm. movement was hurting people all the time because I was yes. attacking parents' cozy, complacent, old ways of thinking. Right. And if people are looking for your advice, you know, the, those that watch you, you would hope and listen to you and read your books, you would hope that they're kind of, they're, they're open-minded. But the reason why I was so like drawn to you and I thought you're so fantastic is because you do not mince your words. You are like, no, this is what I think, whether you think it's controversial or difficult to hear, it is what it is. You're very honest and very clear. But that, I imagine, would mean that sometimes you'd have to speak to a parent and say, you're actually being a bad parent. Well, I, don't, I try not to use word, words like good and bad. Right. What I try to show them is how their childhood patterns mm. and their own conditioning is blocking their connection with their children. When I show it beautifully like that, yeah. I often can break down the barrier. A nice little sugar coat. I yeah, that. I know how to do it. No, but it is that. It is our attachment to what we learned from ages zero to 10. Mm-hmm. That's what white supremacy is. White supremacy is an attachment to an ideology that one was brainwashed with in childhood. That's mm. it. Religious zealotry is just that. Yeah. The brainwashing of childhood mentalities from the ages of zero to 10. That's what this whole world is fighting, our childhood conditioning. That's it. So 
we've all been brainwashed in one particular way. We are all indoctrinated in something, right? So it's which is the best thing to be indoctrinated in? Well, the ideal is to be able to look through our indoctrinations and to not be attached to indoctrination. If there's any evil in the world, it is our mental indoctrinations and our Mm. zealot attachment to them. So where did you learn this from? Your parents? No, my parents were lovely, but they didn't teach this to me. I really learned this from my practice in Vipassana meditation. Oh, bloody hell. What's that? (laughs) <laughs> well, that they say that that's the original teachings of the Buddha. Uh, Buddha did not teach Buddhism or any ism. He taught a technique to free your mind of indoctrination. Huh. And that technique is Vipassana meditation. I'm writing that down. Vipassana. V-I-P-A-S-S-A-N-A. Huh. So that I teach Vipassana meditation. I practice Vipassana meditation. And Vipassana meditation is the capacity to free your mind of your conditioning. What makes it different from other meditations? It does not follow any chanting, any imagery, anything on the outside. It teaches you to observe your breath, but more than that, to observe how your thoughts are conditioned thoughts. Your thoughts are not you. Mm. They are independent entities that come through your mind because of your conditioning. They are noise from culture. And when you realize that your thoughts are not you, something very profound and big happens within you. Then you realize everything that I have believed is possibly a lie, a story, a fabrication, a mental construction, a man-made theory. And when you realize that, you, you become free. You realize that this entire world we live in everybody is living based on conditioned thoughts from childhood and culture. And therefore, you have a choice to subscribe or not. And then you choose to unsubscribe, 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 and you become liberated. I suppose we're all just product of our environment. And especially if we've been to school and had any education, we're, we're listening to what we're being told and we're taking that as true. Exactly. So how do we not? I would feel lost if everything I was told was just, gone. That's the fear. That's, right. that's you, you think that, but when you realize that so much of what you have, you're relying on mm. and you you think is grounding you is actually trapping you and admiring you in fear. Then when you release that, what you have, yes, is a sense of levitation, mm. but it's a sense of freedom because now you're not subscribing to automatic conditionings. You have choice, you have discernment, you have transcendence. You have a lot of freedom. Your new book is about that, I guess. I mean, everything you do is about choice, I think. That's what I can imagine. But yeah. um, the new book is called Superpower. Is that right? This, the new book is called Superpowered. And it was written with my co-author, Rini Jane, and mm-hmm. I wrote this to help parents and children free themselves of their, of their fear of fear, of their right. anxiety around anxiety. I was talking to my sister the other day about um, anxiety and how I think that we all, we all have it. Some people have little bits. Some people can control it. Some people believe they can control it. Some people don't believe they can control it. But, you know, there are lots of methods that people use to get through anxiety and to be able to deal with it, coping mechanisms. And there's also lots of medicine. I don't know if that's helpful or not. Um, I've... 
it kind of comes across unhelpful, but I don't know because I don't take it. But what do you think about uh, anxiety? Um, is it possible for everyone to be able to overcome anxiety or is it just some people? Well, I, I don't know whether everyone can because some people's neurobiological brain chemistry has been now set. So leaving clinical anxiety, clinical depression on the side and having respect for those who combat that. Meaning that their brains are, they've been built in a certain way that cannot be changed? Well, it's more difficult and we want to have respect for those people and people or people who've been too traumatized, PTSD, where their Mm -hmm. brain is now running on a loop. It's understandable that they could need medication and I want to respect that. Right. Having said that, There's a whole host of us that create our own mess around anxiety, mainly because we're trying to get rid of the anxiety. (laughs) And we're getting stressed about it. Yeah, (laughs) we we think anxiety is a demon. So anytime Mm -hmm. we're anxious, we must go eat or we must go put on the TV or we must go gossip or or have a drug. Mm. All we need to do and what this book teaches kids to do is lean into it, talk to it. Ask it what it needs from you. Have a conversation with it. Learn from it. It's okay. The anxiety is a messenger. And we give so many techniques in the book to help children have a conversation with their anxiety mm-hmm. rather than avoid, suppress, distract, and actually make the anxiety bigger. Mm. So when you're dealing with a child that's anxious and you're anxious that they won't get over their anxiety... What can you do? Well, the first thing is we don't try to get anyone over their feelings. And I see parents make a mistake all the time. You know, we're always telling our kids, be happy, smile, life is beautiful. (laughs) When we've just tortured them about life being hard, you know, you think life is easy, life is difficult. (laughs) Then when the kid is anxious because life is difficult, we're like, life is beautiful, be grateful. Be grateful you don't live in a hut in India. You know, we're so hypocritical and messed up that we keep having contradictory messages. So one of the most damaging and really ineffective things we do as parents is we try to get our children to not feel what they're feeling. Instead, we can say, I see you're anxious. It's okay to be anxious. Let's try and understand what the anxiety is about. It's okay to be bored. I get it. It's okay to be angry. I understand. Let's try to express it in healthy ways, but keep the feeling. You know how it is when you're angry and somebody tells you, oh, you're not really angry. You're just on your period. Or, oh, there's nothing to be angry about. Or look at the bright side. Mm. Don't you feel invalidated and you get more upset? Mm -hmm. The same is with our children. You know, it's because we parents want to be feeling successful, like we're raising happy children. We can't handle our children's big feelings. But our children are mini adults in that way. They have big, complex feelings. And the more we rob them of their right to have their feelings, the more they will actually create a false sense of self to please you. And to you pretend. don't want that. Yeah, yeah, you don't want that. No, it's, it's, not, it's not honest. Yeah. So the book that came before that one, it had the tagline, it was The Conscious Parent, the tagline, Why Disciplining Your Child Doesn't Work. Well, there are three books. The first one was the conscious parent, transforming ourselves, empowering our children. The second book was called Out of Control, Why Discipline Doesn't Work and What Will. And the third one is called The Awakened Family. 
Wow, bloody hell, you've been writing a lot of books, girl. And my fifth one is coming out next year. We should do an interview on that. Amazing. Too. Okay, yes. cool. All right. So the tagline, why disciplining your child doesn't work and, and what does was the bit that made me think, hang on. So you're not supposed to tell them off when they're naughty. Are we not supposed to use the naughty step anymore? Are you supposed to like take away their toys when they've punched their sister or like, what do we do? Because yeah. I was brought up in a very strict, very, very strict kind of family household. Um, what, what's one memory you have of the strictest treatment you were given? I suppose if we were sat down when my dad, mostly my dad, he was very strict. Um, we thought no was a swear word for a really long time until we went to school. Because you couldn't say no to him? No, we can't say no. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was like awful if we said no. You Honestly, you might as well have said fuck yeah. as like a kid. Um, and things like if we weren't, I don't know, cleaning or something, when dad came in, he'd be like livid. He wanted us to be busy and working and helping in the household. So if you're watching TV, that is it. You're, you know, it's a problem. And it wasn't horrible. It wasn't like, you know, you got smacked. Well, not always. But so on a scale from one to 10, how afraid were you of your dad? We used to say that he had the cross eyes. Now me and my dad are best mates. It's very funny because we talk to him about this now and he's hilarious. You know, we can have a drink with him till four o'clock in the morning chatting. But when we were children, he was terrifying. So my sister, she's more of a intellectual, very academic, super intelligent. So with a rule, she was very comfortable. So my dad, who was terrifying, we didn't get along when I was really young because I just wouldn't have it. So he's dealing with two kids. I mean, this is such a brilliant thing to ask you, but he was dealing with two kids, both girls, both brought up in the same household, both eating the same food. He's dealing with both of us in the same way and getting a totally different reaction. Discipline did work with Lucy. It did not work with me. What effect do you think it had on you growing up? It made me brave as hell. Brave as hell. And I'm, I'm not scared of anything really. And it's really hard to, to make me scared of a person. Yeah. So I was now able to walk through life and go into a meeting with the head of the CEO of EMI and negotiate with him at 18. Mm -hmm. I was a little bit scared, but really nothing would stop me. I, would, I knew how to deal with that person. Mm. So I think in a way it set me up to kind of know what type of action to use with a man that was towering above you screaming at you it doesn't phase me yeah you know whereas maybe with lulu it might because but she just works so brilliantly well she's a lawyer now she's a barrister mm -hmm. she's just like this amazingly intelligent mm -hmm. kind of productive proactive human so it's been i like to see things half full Mm -hmm. So it's been great on both sides, but also given both of us issues, I'm sure, you know, because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you're a parent, you're going to mess your kids up. It's just how much. Right. So your father couldn't take a no. And he thought he was being a good parent by disciplining you every time he heard a word no. And my mom. Right. But now looking <laughs> back, do you think that they were disciplining you or? I think that they were teaching us respect. Which meant you couldn't say no. At the time, yes. Doesn't mean I didn't say it. 
Yeah. I guess I guess in a way it was um it was like testing the boundaries. Mm. So my dad read this book when he was, you know, having kids and he he calls it the parent what does he call it? The parental um nightmare or but when you decide you're you're having children, you need to now, you know, pay for them all. And you have to be a good parent and teach them how to mm. not be arseholes, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how to be respectful and polite and nice people in society, which is something I want to talk to you about. It's a Jordan Peterson quote I wanted to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. In this book, it said something about if you put a child in a dark room, they'll crawl to the end of the room at some point and they'll kind of touch out for the wall and they'll mm. see the wall and that will be their boundary they'll kind of feel comfortable that the boundary is there. His idea was to give your child boundaries. Mm -hmm. My mum did it in a much softer, nicer way. Mm -hmm. So we had a softer, nicer relationship with her. Mm -hmm. My dad did it in a really terrifying way. So we were only able to really be friends later on in life. Mm -hmm. You know, so I don't know whether that balance was good or bad or whether I'm a crazy, broken person or not, but I can see there's good and bad in that. But of course, there will be well, any parent. You have to ask yourself if you've kind of bought into his model of terror as a, a means. Terror for... is definitely what it was. <laughs> right. So that's what this book is about, is that we don't use fear-based techniques and manipulation control. So how do you do it? In a more humane way. You don't have to judge and label and condemn a kid to a naughty step to teach them. Children mm. learn. It's like saying... The only way the child can learn about goodness is by teaching them that the devil will bite them. Yes. Oh my God. My mom totally did that. But that's an archaic traditional way of, so I I propose a whole different way. So what does it, what does it create this, this way that where there is no punishment, there is no, there is no discipline. What type of person does that create in comparison to the other? You may, it may create a more a bolder, secure person who's not doing it through rebellion, but through just self-authority and self-governance. It may create, uh, you know, some more hell because you may have to debate and negotiate and talk and dialogue because you're raising a free-thinking, autonomous-thinking person. But what it won't do is create terror and fear and control and hierarchical dogmatism, which you were raised with. You know, now, sure, you came out wonderful, but I know you went through painful moments that sure. you're just blacking out on and you're just, <laughs> yes, totally. you, because you're a cheerful optimist and you're, but maybe your sister will remember, you know, it, it doesn't matter how you turned out. It's about the, the process by which you turned out that the way. Moment. You know? And why did you have to go through terror? And no is not a bad word and no is not a curse word. It's your father wanted tyrannical control. And mm-hmm. so he raised you with, a, with an iron fist because he was afraid to lose control. Yeah, he does. This is the thing. Us parents, I say us now, woohoo. Mm-hmm. Um, we just want our kids to be safe, right? And and alive and not kind of go play in the, I don't know, within the poisonous sticks that are going to stab them in the eye. You know, you want your kid to be happy and okay. ACAST recommends LGBTQ plus creators who are making an impact this month and beyond. Tune in for your new favorite show. Hey, what's up? I'm Sean T. And I wanted to tell you that my podcast, Trust and Believe, is all about uplifting you to the next level of who you are. 
whether it's a solo soul with me telling you about things that are happening in my life and how to get through them, or if it's with one of my amazing guests, at the end of every show, you will learn the tools that you need to push through just to get through another day or maybe another month. It doesn't matter what you're going through. You can always come to my show to feel great about yourself, to always believe in yourself. And at the end of the day, know that you are your power. So join us on the show and get ready to trust and believe. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Right, we want them to be happy and okay, but we don't want them to have their own will and their way. You know, this this because we don't trust them. Exactly, right? Maybe, we don't think they're going to know what to do. Well, it's really we don't trust ourselves in handling the anxiety mm. of the unknown. So we become dog, dog, dogmatic. Yes, no, bad, good, and we yell and we scream because we can't handle our anxiety of being in the unknown spaces. Mm. So it's good to have a balance, right? Or maybe just to completely mug off the, that whole side. But it must be very difficult to do, to kind of trust your your child to, to make the right decisions when they're so little and they might fall over and smack their faces on the floor or whatever. I don't know. Of course they're not going to make the right decision. They're not, that, they're that, babies. That's 100% going to happen, but we can't get angry. And you're going to see when you have your toddler test you your old conditioning is going to come back. And I bet. That's when you should call me. Yes. <laughs> I'll call you then. Um, okay, so let's talk about Jordan Peterson for a second, who's also a clinical psychologist, because it is in the same kind of vein. So he says in one of his talks, I don't know which one it was, but he says, your job as a parent is to make your child socially desirable by the age of four. He says, your want your child to be treated properly, not to be rejected. If they're badly behaved, every single face they see is either hostile or lying, which of course will not be good for them in any way. Um, so is he right? How do we do that? How do we grow people that are enjoyable people to be around and, and that are a good kind of member of society, I suppose, is where he's going with that. I think by the age of four is a little bit, it's a bit of a tall order. But what do you reckon on that? From one clinical psychologist to another? Yeah, I, I don't speak that kind of language. My language is completely different. Like I don't talk in terms of social desirability. Because mm -hmm. what is that? You know, why why do you want your kid to be socially desirable in a mad society? <laughs> I think it's impossible to be socially desirable right. in this and society. And by the age of four. <laughs> yeah. Um but I understand what he's saying. But I you see don't what want to saying, yeah. yeah, sure. No one wants to raise a no, no one wants to no one becomes a parent to raise a serial killer. But you also don't want to beat your kid into submission because the teacher says he's a bad boy. You're mm -hmm. going to see, you know, how teachers put labels on your kids and kids put labels on your kids. And that doesn't mean you've done a bad job. Mm. I have a very different philosophy than his. He, he and I are not. The, I can see that. Yeah, That's so different. interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, most of your findings, have they come from your experience with your own children or, or from actual studies or the meditation, I guess? Right. So it's from my practice, my, my experience with so many clients mm. and my experience as a clinical psychologist. You can't um, scientifically study this. You know, no. of course, I know the research uh, but you can't study human beings in a lab experiment. It's all qualitative. 
and it's all everybody's opinion. So yes, he, he has opinions. I have opinions and everyone should take everyone's opinion with a grain of salt. Mm. But you'll see, you'll see when it's, it's very different when you become a parent and you ha- can have an ideal and an expectation, but mm. your kid is not going to match that expectation. And if your kid matches the expectation, your next kid is not going to match it. That's it. It's like me and Lulu. Yeah. One will be one way and another will be another way. Sure. And it doesn't matter what you try to do I suppose you have to just embrace it right yes exactly and let go of the anxiety exactly that comes you're not you're not trying to create some sort of ideal person it's just like when you have a dog Mm. you're not yeah sure you don't want your dog to be a menace but you're also not trying to create your dog into something your dog isn't but you don't want them to like you know bite people of course (laughs) stuff that's a given, of course, and yeah. you get help when that happens. So you do. There is an amount of teaching that you have to do. You a lot of teaching, them... a lot of modeling, yeah. a lot of connection, a lot of presence, a lot of attunement. It's not raising your kids by the wolves, but there doesn't have to be anger and tyranny. There doesn't. Yeah. God, this is so interesting. I can't wait to read all your books. You have to come back to me when you're when you I will. after two years. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, when the baby's like baby, baby, you're just chilling aren't you I mean not yeah, chilling but you're just feeding and mm-hmm. you know making sure that they keep breathing <laughs> right then when the baby roars with their personality mm. that's when you're going to start seeing things shift I love it so you say the three most important messages for a child is I am worthy I am seen do I matter mm. um how do we make sure that our kids are feeling all of those lovely things? Well, we can try by being present, by being connected, by being there, by allowing them to be themselves, not being disappointed in them because they don't match your ideal, and to teach with compassion. So when they break your whatever bottle, you don't need to yell at them. You go, oh, I know you didn't mean it, but this is what we do when we break a bottle. We clean it up. We, we say sorry or we, you know, we don't ascribe good and bad when the kid is just developing and learning. No, poor little baby. I bet you were the sweetest mum. How old are your children? I'm- I just have one girl and she's 18 and, and sometimes yeah. she thinks I'm, I'm the evil witch. I can't imagine that. Because she's gotten so used to the sweet mom that when the evil, when I say no, then she thinks, oh, you're being evil. <laughs> Of course. But but it doesn't matter because I'm not trying to get a prize and the medal. I mean, of course, my ego wants the best mom prize and the trophy. But that's not what this is about. This is about trying to do the right thing with compassion and consciousness and understanding your child for who it is they are mm. and not the child you wish you had. Mm. You know? Yeah. And I suppose we're born who we are. Yes, yeah. we are. <laughs> do you believe in souls? In what way? That you're born with a soul you're kind of your soul has been through many different lifetimes and has a spirit and has a kind of vibe a personality well because I don't know for sure so what I like to believe is that the child comes in with an essence Mm. and an energy I don't know where that essence and energy has been before it could have been an elephant a giraffe it could have been dust and bacteria I don't know because I don't know no one knows so all I know is that there is an essence And I know we all have some essence and I know that this essence doesn't die. Meaning when our physical body dies, we go back into the next transformation. We could be bacteria, earth, soil, rain, raindrops. It could be any next transformation. And that is immutable. It keeps on transforming. Yeah. So that I know. So when you meet your baby, that they have their essence already. Yes. 
You just need to kind of let that do its thing. Yes. And connect to that and and then create conditions around that. And of course, have boundaries and don't have thousand cookies available and don't have crack and cocaine available. Of course, (laughs) you know, this is (laughs) not a... Say no to crack and cocaine, children. Say not right now, child. Yes. Maybe later. People think that I'm advocating for some, you know, let's give our kids drugs, you know, kind of parenting. (laughs) And I'm like, where did you get that? (laughs) <laughs> All I said was, "Don't freaking go ape shit on your kid." Don't go ape shit. And yeah, you're like, "Oh, should important. I just give my kid crack cocaine?" I'm like, "I didn't say that." <laughs> oh my god, it's the extreme, isn't it? Because people think there's only one way. It's supreme yes. control. Oh, if we don't have supreme control, then we are we are raising potheads. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> potheads are fun anyway. I was saying to my mum the other day, I don't know if I was just trying to wind her up. It was quite a funny conversation. But I, I, she got very upset with me because she doesn't like swearing. Now, I think it's very important to learn all language. I love language. Love, 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 love language. I agree with you. And I think that it's important to use it at specific times as long as it's appropriate. So I was saying, well, I think when my children get old enough to kind of be hearing these words, I would like to teach them exactly what those words mean, rather than tell them off for using them or, you know, accidentally saying it or whatever, you know, because they're going to know it's naughty because their school is going to tell them that it's naughty. So you have to deal, you have to navigate the school, of course, which is bloody annoying. So I thought, well, it'd be good to just teach them. All of these words mean a specific thing. Now you have to use them correctly. If you're using it correctly, then that's fine. If you're not, then we can learn the language together. And it makes it, takes the taboo away from it. But yeah, she didn't like that at all. She said that was was child abuse. (laughs) Mom, it's not child abuse. She's like, you can't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh dear, made me laugh. She comes from fear and scarcity. It's a different generation Mm -hmm. as well, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. so we want our kids to be free and happy, and um, yeah, just happy, really, isn't it? Sure, that's what sure. we want for secure. anyone. You want your kids to feel secure in who it is they are. Did you bring up your child in that whole takes a village vibe? I mean, I tried, yeah, and I definitely saw because I wasn't raising her in India how much harder it was to raise her without the village, oh. and I missed my village in India. Mm-hmm. But I chose to be here, so I dealt with it. But yeah, I, I began to see the flaws of what I was doing very early. I saw my ego very early. Mm-hmm. I saw my conditioning very early. I mean, I really exposed uh, my own flaws in parenting and therefore never judge parents or try not to judge parents because I come from a very humane place, not a dogmatic place, because I have seen my ego and I wish more psychologists would see their ego before they start creating these, you know, ideals for parents because parents end up feeling a lot of guilt and shame. Yeah, I think we all do. When we when we think we're making a mistake in any sphere, we feel embarrassed. Yeah, and I, and I show parents why they've made a mistake and how logical it was that they made a mistake given who they were as children. What's the most common mistake parents make? Um perfectionism on their children, projecting their fears, projecting their control, projecting manipulation, Mm. all of this, you know, not owning that they're trying to create a perfect child that they never were. Yeah, right. Living vicariously through your children. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You want what, what you didn't have for your child. Yeah. Yeah, of course. It's all love. This is what's so 
beautiful about the mistakes. Yes. It's all from a loving perspective, usually. Yeah, but it's love for yourself, really. <sighs> That's sad. But yeah, I think you might be right. It could be. Yeah, because you want to do a good job. love for your own ideals, love for your own ego, mm. your own wanting to do a good job, your own wanting to be seen as worthy by society and by your parents. As long as you own it, it's okay. It's lovely because it's human. It should be love for the child though. Well, and if it's love for the child, then then you understand the child. You attune to the child. You get the child. You don't try to make the child your child. You make the child their own being. Mm, empower them. Mm -hmm. Help them feel worthy. Exactly. And seen and heard mm -hmm. and, yeah, and understood. Like they matter. Yeah, very important. Okay, so if you could give one piece of advice that people can action now, of, I, I guess it would be parents because this is specifically what we're talking about. They can action it right now that will help them and their children become happier. What would that be? That the next time they lose their shit on their kids, they can turn the mirror inside and ask themselves what part of me was not feeling heard, was not feeling understood, was not feeling worthy. That's what got me upset. There was a part in me that was wounded by my child not being according to my fantasy. A part of me felt unheard. A part of me felt unworthy. And feeling that made me so angry that I then lashed out at my kid. So owning the wound within rather than thinking it's your kid, it was really your own inner wound that was triggered. Good advice. Turn the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Look yeah, it's fundamental it. it's and it's the most basic shift you can make it'll change your life brilliant okay i'm going to take all your advice well, thank you thank so you. much thank you for having me it's been lovely chatting with you and i will definitely be calling you in a few months i I'm know sure. you will i'm telling you you will <laughs> thank you dr shafali you're fantastic